0: Good morning, Trinity. Good morning. How y'all doing? It's good to see you. Be here this morning with you. This morning we're talking about servanthood. We're talking about greatness, and it brings me back to this quote from Leslie Nope, Amy Poehler's uh, character in Parks and Rec. She says, "I am big enough to admit that I am often inspired by myself." Can anyone here identify? Anyone here your own source of inspiration? Maybe you're inspired by your own greatness. This morning, we're talking about true greatness in the kingdom of God, and we're asking the question, what would it look like to be great in the new world that God is bringing about in the person of Christ Jesus? I like that. So... James and John, two of Jesus' best friends, his closest disciples, come up to him with a question. The first thing we want to know is this amazing kid's question, will you just say yes to whatever we're about to ask you, right? <laughs> it's amazing that they actually said that, and it went into the Bible. And then he's like, well, what do you want to ask me, right? Which is what the parent then says after that. What do you want to ask me? And he says, grant, they say to him, grant to us to sit at your right hand and your left when you come in glory. And basically, they're saying, when you make it to the top, could you please award us the two highest or the, the second and third positions, right? Can you please give us those places of honor? Just two weekends ago, we uh, took a little quick excursion to Los Angeles. And while we were there, we were knocking on some doors of some neighbors, you know, saying hi. Hi. And uh, a neighbor, friend of ours, Mari, came down to meet us from her apartment. And uh, she's such a precious friend, friend of ours. She was so happy to see her. We are so happy to see her. And um, it, she was saying, I've got a picture of your family in my apartment. She, got a, she said, I have a picture of your whole family, and I've got one picture of Marty. She really loves Marty, you know, he, He's her favorite. But she was saying her son, Max, so she got a son, Max, and Mateo, and a, a grandson, Mateo. They're the same age. And she was saying how Max was saying how he's going to miss us for his upcoming birthday, how we've always been there at all of his birthdays. And you know what? It's true. We've been there in the, our little community garden where we met, where we have all of Max and Mateo's birthdays. It's always there. There's always a little bit of food, a cake, and our kids are there. And I don't know if your kids do this, but my kids do this every time. So Anna and Julia, if it's Max's birthday, when it's time to sing happy birthday, they are flanking him during the birthday song. One on the left and one on the right. And so I, every, you know, I take my phone out, I don't know why we do this, but I've literally taken video of every single time we sing happy birthday for these kids. And I guarantee if we go on the log, whether it's Max and Mateo there in the middle, you're gonna see Anna and Julie on either side. And then I'll just do that at Max and Mateo's birthday. Like if we're invited to like somebody's birthday here and we hardly even know them, they're still up there right on either side of the kids. I don't know if your kids do, there's something wrong with me, my parenting. If there's any parenting coach here that wants to give me some tips on, on, on what to do. But I guess my question in first reading this, when I come to the text, is, is are James and, and John just kind of like Anna and Julia, right? They just want to be right there next to the birthday cake, right? Right there next to the birthday boy. And I would say no. I think we actually have to give them a little more credit. Now imagine a politician that you really liked and really believed in? Who just came? No, you don't have to tell me that. Uh, so I think about right now Melody Bray, who is a leader, a lay leader on our west side. She is running for um, house representatives for the state of Georgia. Um, so she's someone I know. She's also with my realtor, helped me buy my house. So I got some appreciation for her, some love for my sister in Christ over there. So just imagine you are super big into Melody Bray And you said, you know what, I'm going to quit my job to go follow her and just help her get into the house. And then she got into the house, and then a few years later, she's like, you know what, I'm going to run for U.S. Senate. And you had just given your whole life to make this happen, and you've been there serving with her, and then she's running for Senate. And then you said, hey, Melody, when you become a senator, would you allow me to be your chief of staff? Well, it's it's a big ask, but guess what? What if you had given all of your life to kind of serve her and, and kind of be there and support her ministry. And what I want to just remind you is that these disciples are the real deal. As much as like they're, they're not picking up some of the things, some of the really important things that Jesus is trying to teach them, these are also men that have given their lives. They've given up their jobs. They've walked away from their jobs to follow Jesus. And they actually want to see him rise to the top. And they're actually doing the work. So in some sense, it's actually not the worst question that you might imagine. And in a sense, James, John, and Peter, they've been with him, right? They've been his number two and three and four guys the whole time. So you might expect them, you might not be so surprised to hear a question uh, from them. But then Jesus responds to them saying, you do not know what you're asking. You really don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And that's an Old Testament word for judgment. Are you able to receive the judgment that I will receive and be baptized with the baptism with which I will be baptized? You see, the disciples still don't get what it means to be the Messiah. Even though Jesus has told them, upon the confession of the Messiah, he said, yes, but the Son of Man must undergo suffering. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago? And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again, right? He told them that this would happen, that this would be the way of the Messiah. And he said, hey, if anyone wants to follow after me, let them take up their cross and follow me. And then you might remember just a few weeks ago, we were talking about a very similar chapter in Mark 8 when the disciples are fighting about what? Who's the greatest, right? And Jesus has to turn to them and say, look, it's different in the kingdom. Whoever wants to be first, Uh, has to be last in the servant of all, right? Like, this might seem like deja vu to you because we just had a sermon about this like two or three weeks ago. It just turns out that the disciples are still missing the point and Jesus is still coming back and explaining to them the implications of the cross. Just a little side note here, friends. At some point, we believe the gospel, we repent and we're baptized and that's wonderful, right? Right? But then we spend our whole lives kind of working out the implications of what that death to ourselves in a new life in Christ is, right? We never get to the point that we arrive. We're a lot like the disciples. We're still working out the implications of what does this cross-shaped life look like. And we have new seasons, right? So like, oh, now I'm a parent. So what does it look like to, to live the cruciform life as a parent? Now I moved to a new city. What does it look like to live uh, as a Christ follower in this city, in this neighborhood, right? It never ends. It's a journey with Jesus of learning. So like the disciples, we are continually in need of correction uh, from Jesus and being pointed into the right direction. The disciples don't understand the, the cruciform nature of the mission. They don't understand the logic of the cross. And so Jesus has to say, hey, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink this cup and to receive this baptism? And to that, the disciples say, we are able. And then I find what Jesus says next actually very surprising. You might expect him to say, no, 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 you don't get it. No, 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 you can't do this. No, 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 no. Actually, he says something very different. And I wonder if Jesus doesn't pause for a moment and ponder their futures Ponder these the future of these disciples, most of whom will literally give their very lives for the good news. He says, you know what? Actually, the cup I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But still, to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant, but is for the one for whom it has been prepared. And I can imagine Jesus thinking, you know, you want to pray. And you know what? In so many ways, you are great. I think you're amazing. And you've given up everything to follow me. And one day, you actually will suffer. You will give your lives for the gospel. These disciples will be worthy candidates for positions. They would be worthy candidates for positions in Jesus' cabinet. But greatness in the kingdom won't be about positions of power but rather living as the servant of all people. And so Jesus has to tell them, if you want to be great, you have to be the servant of all. Now this is Atlanta, and I'm guessing that many of you are probably familiar with uh, the sermon from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on this passage uh, entitled The Drum Major Instinct. And he says, Jesus affirmed their greatness, but then, I'm sorry, Jesus affirms their desire for greatness, but then he also transforms the situation by giving a new definition of greatness. He says, if you want to be important, wonderful. You want to be recognized, wonderful. You want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you, shall be your servant that's a new definition of greatness and i love how dr king points out that this new definition of greatness in it everyone can be great because everyone can serve he says this this morning the thing that i like about it is by giving a definition of greatness it means everybody can be great because everybody can serve You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know about Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know about the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. There's amens and dispersed in there if you guys want to just kind of shout them out. We'll be nice here. You only need a heart of grace, yes, sir, amen, and a soul generated by love, yes, and you can be that servant. You need a heart full of grace and a soul regenerated by the love of Jesus Christ, and you too can be great. You can be a servant. Now, I can imagine for Dr. King's audience that this must have sounded like really good news because probably more often than not, his audience were made up of people who had grown up on the margins, had endured racial discrimination daily, had been kept from America's best institutions of learning, and yet they could still be great. But I would guess there are quite a few of us this morning who have college degrees, quite a few of us who are probably pretty good at making our subjects and verbs agree. And for us, we're the ones that really need a gentle but sober reminder about kingdom greatness. Sometimes we get caught up in the wrong credentials, don't we? Whoever wishes to become great among you must go to grad school, must have a job in management, must have a large following on social media, must be a professional, must be the smartest one in the room. But Jesus said, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And this doesn't mean that our accomplishments aren't important. It just means that in the kingdom, the greatest doctors... Are servant doctors. And in the kingdom, the great CEOs are the CEOs that live in the world as if they were the servants of all people. You see, my friends, this morning, God is calling you to completely rethink greatness. So how does this sermon end? I'm somewhat of a person of action. I like to call people to action based on the text, right? I do that a lot. And so we could end this sermon with a call to action. I could say, hey, you know what? We've got an amazing problem in this church. So many babies and toddlers want to come to our church that we now got to split it up into two classes. So instead of having just two classes for our kids, we're going to go to having three total. We're split the babies and the toddlers up. What an amazing opportunity, right? And we read just a little while ago that, uh, you know, two weeks ago with Father Nate, that, that, the, that we should welcome children, that the kingdom belongs to children. And we read today that the greatest among us are servants. So here's your chance, Trinity. You want to be great? Sign up to serve in the nursery. Now, that would be an amazing application, right? I would say, what do you think, Paul? It'd be in line with the text, right? We could go there. We could also do something similar and say, hey, if you want to be great, We've got these amazing partners that we, that we partner with uh, out in the city that are doing amazing work, nonprofits, and we're supporting them financially, and you guys can go serve along our dollars out there and get to know these amazing organizations that we here at Trinity support. And we could do that. And there's so many ways we could do this, right? We could just talk about what if you just went ahead and, and helped your neighbor out? What if you just cut your neighbor's grass and went and been great and served? We could do these things and these would all be great. But I actually have a little bit different idea, a little bit different type of action that I want us, uh, that I want to call us to here as we focus in at the end here. And what I want us to do is to focus in on Mark 10, 45. And specifically for a moment, I want us to focus in on this moment four. I'll read the text a little, a few verses before it. Jesus says, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. By the way, this verse right here is a great verse. It's one that we all should memorize. I think about John 3:16 as a wonderful summary of what the gospel is. You want another great summary of the gospel? Mark 10, 45, right here. This is a great summary of what it's all about. And I want you to notice that Jesus has been giving some instructions to his disciples, right? He's been giving them some instructions about how his disciples live differently in the world. And then he uses this word for. Because what comes next is going to be the rationale for living completely different in the world. It's going to be the reason. It's like as if Jesus is saying, because of this, fill in the blank, you should go out and do that, right? Or Jesus is saying, "Uh, you should rethink blank because of blank. And what are the blanks? Jesus is saying, at least this morning, we need to rethink greatness because of the gospel. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because, because Jesus, because Jesus came to serve and he came to give his life as a ransom. In the words of the prophet Isaiah that Nathan read for us this morning, surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases Yet we have accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned away, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then it says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain and to make his life an offering for sin. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And then get this, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. Jesus the suffering servant achieved a greatness we will never know. He He was offered up for our sins to make us righteous. His life ransom for ours. And so here's the call to action this morning. First, believe the good news. The first call to action is to. Believe the good news that Jesus Christ suffered for you and died for your sins. And that your salvation, literally your hope in this world, is not in any of those other things you were hoping with that might bring you greatness, but literally that Jesus paid the price for your sins, his life for yours. Step one is to believe the gospel. And then the second thing I want to call you to action, and this is about the four for, the four part, is to rethink all of life in light of the gospel. You guys get the pattern? Jesus is teaching him, them about some really alternative ways of living, right? And he does this over and over again. This time it's about serving hood, right? Last week, uh, it was about wealth. The week before that, it was about divorce and about welcoming children. And over and over again, he's teaching them about how to live different in the world. But there's a four part to it. There's a four part to it. why. What's the impetus for living differently in the world? And that four is that Jesus paid the price for our sins. He lived among us as a servant, and he paid the price. And so now we're going to rethink all of reality in light of the death and the resurrection and the ascension of our Lord. And that is like my, just so you know, I've got an agenda. I'm not an objective person, right? As your pastor, I have an agenda to form a people who rethink all of their life in these terms. And so this should like be on my employee evaluation, right? Like when they're sitting down with me to see if I'm doing a good job, it should be like, are more and more people in your congregation like thinking about their lives in terms of the gospel? Like when they uh, are correcting their kids, are they explaining to their kids like the reason why we're going to do this or the reason why we're not going to go there, all these things, because of the gospel, right? Well, because Jesus died and rose again, we're like living differently in the world. And that's why we're going to like do this or do that, Right? It should be the way, It should change the way you approach your work. You should probably have to ask your boss for more vacation. Like, you know what? I actually have to work less this year because Jesus died and rose from the dead, and that means that like I don't have to like win everything, and I don't have to get ahead, and I don't have to like kill myself for this. And like I'm gonna work like a healthy amount. But you know what? Like He ascended. He's Lord over all. So can I have like an extra week, right? Like I. It should just reframe the way we approach everything. And that's when we're winning, friends, when the gospel is so saturated in life that everything we approach. So that's our call to action. One, believe the gospel. Two, rethink all of life in light of the gospel. God, grant us grace to follow in the ways of your son, Jesus Christ, the humble-hearted servant who gave his life for us. Amen.